Okay, welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, executive success in the solar industry requires a number of different skills. It's, it's just not single dimension. You've got to really understand the technology. You've got to be successful and effective with sales and marketing. You have to be able to keep the operations under control, juggle the financial issues, and manage a growing team. Now, I'm always interested in people who have this broad background and have demonstrated it in the solar industry. And it's no surprise that these people are the ones that have been successful. And one of these executives is Todd. Todd Lindstrom, CEO of Enable Energy. Todd and I go way back to his time at SunPower Geothermal back in 2004 timeframe. Since then, he's been at Solar Power Inc., Sharp Solar, and Paramount Energy Solutions. He's also manufacturing a very clever mounting system for flat roofs. We're happily using them at Cinnamon Energy Systems for many of our flat roof projects. So welcome to the show, Todd. Hey, good morning. All right, great. So um, tell us about some of the products you're developing at Enable Energy. So... Over the last several years, we've developed a residential self-grounding rail-free racking system. We've developed a rooftop flat commercial racking system that uh, can install with no tools for the mounting of the modules and has a quick release in, in an attempt to meet some of the new fire code requirements. But what we've really landed on is the interface between commercial racking systems and the roof as an area that was ignored, and that's where we came up with FACET and the related items that will tie into it. So tell us what FACET is. So FACET's a disc the size of a small dinner plate that is made out of cast aluminum powder-coated that has a ring of 16 holes around its perimeter that allows you to attach into pretty much any roofing surface, whether we're dealing with a metal pan deck of a commercial building, plywood deck, OSB surface, concrete, without having different SKUs. So one piece will work in any application. And then it's a matter of finding its related or appropriate waterproofing device. Then we'll accept an L-foot or a standoff or stanchion that allows it to come up off the roof and then interface with any racking system that you can buy in the market today. Yeah, so we experimented with this, I don't know, half a year ago or so, and it's kind of like the, the size of a little Frisbee with mm -hmm. a bunch of holes around the perimeter. And it turned out to be a really efficient way for us to do these flat roofs, whether there's, you know... Pretty much any kind of flat roof. We haven't used it on tar and gravel yet, but we're pretty happy with it. You put an elephant on top, a standoff, anything, and then you know once you get the hang of doing the membrane sealing, we can bring that in house also. So, and bottom line is, it saves us money. Give us a little bit of some insight into the economics of this mounting system versus the old way of doing it. Well, so the old way of doing it, assuming that you're going to connect to the building is to excavate out all of the material between the top of the roof surface and the roof structure beneath, create your attachment point, and in almost all cases, that attachment point would then need to find the structure underneath the roof deck, so the purlin or the beam or a joist underneath there, and make that attachment. So your crew on the roof has to kind of play detective to figure out where they got to go install it. It makes it a challenge to get straight lines, and then now you're filling in that, that hole, we used to call them pitch pockets, and then having to waterproof your way back up. And so with facet, what we're able to do is, is lay out the racking, connect it to the facet, create our true register of where we want the, the racking or the system to go, and then we can drive the screws into the roof deck without worrying about finding the structure underneath. As long as we find the plywood deck or whatever is creating the large surface on the roof, we're good to go. 
And then it's a matter of waterproofing it in the appropriate way for whatever surface is down originally. So how does that compare to what's been pretty common throughout the U.S., and not quite as common, but pretty common, to a ballasted system where you don't really have those attachments? Yeah, so ballasted was a reaction back really in about 2006, 2007 to the lack of product on the marketplace that would allow you to properly connect solar to a roof. So the industry overreacted. And, and came forward with ballasted product as a way to avoid excavating and digging into the roof and, and creating these future leak points and other structural issues by coming up with a product that's essentially just concrete blocks sitting on top of racking systems to hold it still. Very dominant in the Midwest and the East Coast for these applications. Somewhat problematic on the West Coast because we have seismic concerns that we have to deal with as well. So on the West Coast, we'd find a ballasted system still had some attachments. As we started looking at it, going, there's a better way to go do this. And we went and met with the roofing manufacturers. We met with structural engineers. And they all basically came back with, we hate ballast. It's just better than the original way of doing it. And there's no product on the marketplace that solves the issue. So the industry moved to ballast. And now we're seeing the industry start to move away from ballast. And they're realizing that you're putting permanently thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of weight on a roof that it wasn't designed for. You haven't solved for your seismic. And you're creating rub points, other issues with the roofing products, which is actually accelerating leaking. And you're putting a permanent amount of weight on the roof structure, which it wasn't designed for. And it, it has a series of problems. And as we looked at this, and its original origin actually was Staples Center down in LA, when we contracted for that job back in, I think, 06 or 07, we looked around and go, how are we going to do this? And that was the origin of Facet. That's where we discovered how to go put it together. And it's just evolved since then as a way to put a very lightweight, highly secure product on the roof. And it's going to be reliable, and the roofers accept it, and you're, you're attaching in the right way. I mean, heck, I've got a ballasted penetrating system on the roof of my house. It's on a flat membrane roof, and I go up every few years and check to see how the ballasted is doing, and it's, it's doing great, and we don't have any abrasion yet, but that's a small system. You know, you mm -hmm. put a really big system on where you're going to get a lot of wind loads, it's going to be problematic. So how's the product doing in the marketplace? We got about 30,000 units out since we took it forward in essentially Generation 2.0. Generation 1, I measured it a little bit different, but we have about 20, 25 megawatts in total that, that are out there, including one of the first big jobs we did, which was a 6-megawatt rooftop out in New Jersey. And so it successfully stood up to Hurricane Sandy and, and a couple of other major storm events and has done really well in its application. So not just the science of it, but the practical application. Yeah, recently New Jersey's just getting a really, really great test bed for that kind of a product. They're getting a blizzard in the Northeast almost every week. That's yes. the one coming through now. So I feel sorry for my friends in New Jersey. Where can people learn more about this Facet product? Where can they get it? So Facet is actually a product of one of our companies called Sustainable Technologies, LLC. And that is is also the website, so sustainabletechnologiesllc.com. It also is a product that is stocked and distributed by Baywa, which is a major distributor of solar products. And then it's now been picked up by ABC Roofing at some of their stores. So you're starting to see it get accepted wider and wider. Okay. And then for people that have, that own a commercial building, I mean, what, how should they approach getting solar on this flat roof commercial building? Should they definitely, does it depend on their location? Should they consider ballasted systems? What are some of the decision points there? There are actually places where a ballasted system is the right choice. 
And, and but what my recommendation always is 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 go look at what you're attempting to accomplish and then rely on on the experts. And so your your solar contractor should be working with a proper structural engineer, a proper roofing engineer, and a proper electrical engineer to make these decisions on your behalf and to educate you on what they're doing and why they're doing it. And in California in particular, you're going to find that a ballasted system is the anomaly, not the rule as far as the recommended choice by that group of experts. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the dilemmas that I had because we were doing development of ballasted systems at Andelay, my old company, and we would lose projects and bids to competing ballasting systems because they basically had a structural engineer that was not conservative at all, very optimistic. And the, mm-hmm. structure, you know, the, the structural engineer would say, hey, you don't need any ballast at all. This thing will be fine. And you know, our engineers would say, that's not really true. I realized that we could never win that battle because the customer would just say, hey, I got a structural engineer from the racking company that says it's okay, your structural engineer says you need a lot of ballast, that system is a lot cheaper because I don't have to bring 20 tons of blocks up to the roof and we would lose a job. I kind of threw in the towel on that, but I really like the concept, at least in California, where we're just looking at a, a penetrating system using something like the, the STI facet product. Correct. And you know, it's a product that usually saves you money in the installation, decreases your amount of time on a roof, But one of the things a lot of owners are ignoring also is then the maintenance. And so especially if you have the newer membrane roofs, which is the majority of what's being put on buildings today, you'll find that the maintenance associated with a membrane roof with an adhered system using a facet is much lower than that same maintenance if you put ballast up. Oh, yeah. Like, just consider what's involved in maintaining, you know, thousands of solar panels with blocks on the roof. You're going to have to remove all those things and go find out where the leaks are. That's an absolute nightmare. Yes. All right. So, Todd, let's talk about the engineering procurement and construction, or EPC, work that you're doing at Enable Energy. Give me a little bit of background. So, our current focus is on what we call mid-scale commercial industrial solar and storage in California and Hawaii. We do work anywhere from essentially Denver West, but offices in Honolulu, office in Sacramento. What we typically grab onto is a 200 to 2,000 kilowatt rooftop ground mount system that is not being sold directly to the utility, but directly to a business owner of some form. Mm-hmm. That's a good market segment. How do you guys handle the financing? So one of the things we learned early on is that almost never does the customer have the cash sitting in the account waiting to write us a check to go do this. And so we have to come up with various methods. So one of the the keys is we have a financial expert in our office that shepherds these things through, almost like a, a financial broker. And then we've come up with a group of companies that offer various financing programs with the knowledge of solar and the knowledge of storage that can close a deal in a rational period of time without unruly paperwork to cause these programs to move forward. Probably the most dominant one for us right now is a solar tax lease. It's an opportunity where essentially you let the bank buy, own the system, take out all the tax credits, and then you as the business owner get to operate the system, receive all the financial benefits of the system. You just don't have to mess with the tax, and it's a little easier financing product to take down. You kind of hit on an issue that's very subtle, and it's only apparent to people that have been in the business and and turning through these projects is just the amount of time it takes to close a deal that has third-party financing. Correct. 
And so one of the things we're finding on is that as you go look at power purchase agreements, which is this dominant name and dominant force, it's a great product. It works really well, in particular in California, but it requires mass or scale. And and the financiers are looking for ever stronger credit because they're underwriting for a 20 or 25 year term, which will make anyone nervous. And as they go through the contract, the underwriting requirements, it's hard to keep that client lined up and focused on it. And then the client quite frequently will want to push back on an item or two because they don't have a familiarity of tax law and other restrictions that the financiers are under. And then everyone ends up spending money and time. Yeah. And a lot of the time, I just remember being involved in these projects and and getting this financing, uh, doing pretty good sized projects. And it kind of reminded me of being at a circular table where there'd be three people at the table. You'd have the customer who's putting the system on their commercial roof, you know, 250, 500 megawatt system. You'd have the EPC company that generally found the project. Then you'd have the finance company. And there'd be a pile of chips on, on the table. And everybody would be trying to kind of get as many of those chips, get as many assets and, and revenue as possible. And then the bad stuff would get pushed away. And what would end up almost inevitably happening is the EPC company was the one who was kind of taking the bad stuff, losing the chips. And the longer it would take, the less appealing the project would be. And then you'd get you'd be under the gun to get the thing done in a certain amount of time, get interconnection done on time, and then, you know, with the dynamic nature of the solar industry with, with product supply issues, it got really, really tough. Very. And, and one of the things that we really promote with clients that have decided to go do solar is, again, a PPA is a great product. Any financing is, is work. Pick your contractor before you go down the financing path. Because to your point on the chips is you and the contractor should be in lockstep to accomplish a task. And it's hard for that contractor to be in lockstep with you when you haven't decided you're going to stay with them or you're still playing around because it's an endeavor that you are doing together and you should be a partner in it. Yeah. I mean, just an example, we're in the middle of a PPA, small PPA project right now, and it's been going on three months. Now, the contract with us is signed basically with the owner of the building, but it's just three months plus negotiating the PPA. And I'm sure we're going to get through it and it's a good, reputable company, but that just adds a lot of cost. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we talked about the EPC work and how financing impacts that. The biggest wild card that's hit our industry recently is the tariffs. And we have tariffs in 2012 on panels and then tariffs in 2014 on cells. And then we got on all imported solar modules. And then, heck, you know, two weeks ago, we got tariffs on aluminum and steel. So how have tariffs affected your projects? So the aluminum steel, not so much, but, you know, it's a penny here, it's a penny there. It does, it eventually adds up. But the solar tariff or larger than that, the threat of the solar tariff, which was essentially 2017, hurt a lot. And so what we found is the small commercial deals where we had clarity that we could do a 50, 100, 200 kilowatt deal, you know, sign it, get on building it, and get it done before the uncertain date of a tariff arrived. Those went forward more or less fine. It just ended up costing a little bit more because the manufacturers immediately raised their pricing because they knew they could. But the large deals froze. And so if we were doing a one megawatt, two megawatt commercial or industrial project, those clients would sit there and say, unless you're going to guarantee that I am protected from all tariff risk, meaning that we, the EPC, had to take that bad ship, they would wait it out. And so we're really busy this quarter closing deals because for the last seven or eight months, we didn't. Right. So it's finally thawing out now that you know that it's a 30% tariff and then basically you know what the pricing is going to be roughly six months from now. Correct. 
Now, what about availability of things like inverters and racking? Has that been relatively steady for you? That's been relatively steady. It's what was interesting, and one of the blessings in 2017 is that the cost of the inverters really dropped. And so we noticed a measurable benefit there. And concurrent to that, the quality keeps improving. So the interface between those inverter companies and the EPCs is that much better. Now, I noticed when we used to do bigger commercial projects, they were all with really big centralized inverters. Are you still using centralized inverters, or has it moved mostly towards string inverters? Well, for me, I haven't used a centralized inverter now in about six years. And so it's it's completely gone to the smaller string inverters because the price is competitive. And the creativity and ease of installation is just that much better. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing the exact same thing. And it's great when you can just put a network of string inverters up there, maybe with or without optimizers, but the combiner boxes are gone. The monitoring's easier. The maintenance is a lot easier. You've got better able to track individual strings. So that's all a plus, plus, plus. So interesting transition with inverters. Now, what about energy storage systems? What are you guys doing for that? So we spent the last 18 to 24 months trying to figure out what this space is because, you know, what it's brought to us by the customer is the the phrase of, I want a battery, which is fantastic, but it's very similar in, in our world to the old phrase of, I want to be disconnected from the grid. You know, out of the tens of thousands of systems we've done, I've only done one guy that's disconnected from the grid. So if I go look at storage, it's what are you really trying to accomplish and what's important? You have the small commercial and residential systems where it's more hardware forward, less software driven, and it has a purpose. And can we educate the client on what that purpose is? And it's not everything. And then on the large scale commercial industrial systems, it's all about software. And so what I'm really finding storage to be is a software play that is supported by some fairly known and understood hardware. And that's a really tough message to get through to people, even in the solar industry themselves, because, you know, gee, software is not that big a deal. You don't think about it until it doesn't work. But then the software gets really tricky when you've got components, each of which have their own little driver software, application software, and then you need some kind of parent software that's going to coordinate everything. So it's not like the old days where you would take an inverter, and then you could use anybody's panel. When it comes to the software that, that's linking these things together, it really has to be pretty tightly integrated. It Very much so. And and it's very important that everyone understands what it does and, and how mission critical it is. Because again, as you get into these ever bigger systems, you not only lose your savings, but you can actually create cost if you're not careful and smart in what you lay out. Right. Okay. So kind of going back over the past dozen years or so ago, what are some of the lessons you've learned in the solar industry and how do they apply to what you're doing in energy storage now? Number one is underestimate the value that will be generated to the client. It is so much easier to set your CFO up at your client's office for going into that annual board meeting with Good news, we're 5%, 10%, 15% over forecast again this year with our energy system. But you never win the argument when you come in and say, bad news, we're 5% below. And it doesn't matter whether it's caused by massive forest fires in Sonoma County, whether it's caused by the rainiest year in decades last winter. The customer only looks at the financial value. And so make sure you always forecast that properly. Educate the client along the way, and that education doesn't stop when they say yes to buying the solar system. In, in fact, it intensifies, and, and that's the opportunity. Now, here's what we meant by this. Here's what we meant by this. So by the time that system's operational, they have a reasonably decent grasp of what they've acquired and how it will behave and what they need to do to keep it behaving. 
And so probably another big item that we've we've noticed is you go back, you know, in 2001, 2002, when we started selling this, we didn't know what the maintenance was. Then we went to a phase of, oh, don't worry about it. There's not a whole lot of maintenance you need. And in a way, that's true. There's, it's not that much, but it's not zero. And there's a lot of zero out there right now. Yeah. And, and people need to know you do have to do something. A little, just a, yeah, a little. All right. Well, how can people get in touch with you at Enable Energy? Enable Energy, we're getting out of uh, the Sacramento area, but my email address is T Lindstrom, L I N D S T R O M as in Mary, at enable energy.com. And I can be reached at 916 240 28. Zero eight. All right, terrific. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. And thanks to our guest, Todd Lindstrom with Enable Energy. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.